Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to this week's Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here is what is making news. The Australian circuit racing season is officially underway with Simmons Plains hosting the Race Tasmania event last weekend. The three TCR Australia wins were split between teenager Jay Hansen, who looks like he's about 15, Jordan Cox and Zach Souter. In the Australian Drivers' Championship, Tim Macro took an early gold star lead after winning the feature race. Joey Mawson won the first race of the weekend but got tangled up with teammate Tim Slade in race two, which was won by S5000 debutant Josh Fife. And in Tramzand, it was two wins to Tim Brook and one to Nathan Hearn. In Supercars, we have a date for the potential revival of the Adelaide 500, which will be held on December 1-4 to this year as the 2022 season finale if the Labor Party wins the upcoming state election. Erebus Motorsport has retained Jack Perkins and David Russell as its Bathurst co-drivers. They will partner Will Brown and Brody Kostecki, respectively. Tickford has also confirmed that Zach Best will drive for them at Bathurst this year, although it's not yet clear with which of the team's four primary drivers he will be paired with. Uh, Supercar's newest team, Premier Racing, will sit out the all-in preseason test uh, for the Queensland-based teams later this week and will instead test next week. We have some interesting news regarding that team coming up later in the pod, as well as a chat with owner Peter Ziburis. Team 18's team manager Steve Henderson looks to have parted ways with the squad amid an engineering shuffle there. Matt Stone Racing has unveiled two truck assists back to Holdens for Jack LeBrock and Todd Hazelwood for the upcoming campaign, and Ground has broken on a new $30 million drag racing facility at the Ben Motorsport Park. Joining me this week to discuss all that and much, much more is a teammate who I would never, ever tip off the road at Turn 2 at Simmons Plains, Stefan Bartholomews. Stefan, how good is it to have racing back? Fantastic. Obviously, uh, a fair bit of news going about as well. Um, one thing that you didn't cover off there, the track action for the weekend really started on on Friday out mm. at Wanneroo Raceway. I believe there was a, there was oh, a high-profile member of the Supercars paddock spotted doing laps in a Formula Ford. He didn't wow. give any didn't give any interviews, but um, he was heard talking about the time he outqualified Daniel Ricciardo some years back. Do you have any more on that uh, on that story? Oh, look, it's my favourite topic, so I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to bring it up. Yeah, I did a couple of little sneaky, couple of little sneaky laps uh, on the short circuit. You know what's actually it's actually it's a shame they don't use it for racing much because I haven't driven on the short circuit at Wanneroo for a very long time, and it's actually uh, it's a fun little layout. It's a fun little layout. But anyway, I might have been doing an, an, an observed license test. Maybe there's a bit more racing on the horizon. Who knows, Steph? And I'll leave that that one for you to uh, to chase up. 
the fact that you rang me on Friday as you were driving out there complaining about the fact you had to go and do these laps in a Formula <laughs> Ford, I was like, not only is he the uh, the racing driver of this pod, but he's the prima donna racing driver of this podcast. Unbelievable. It was it was hot. It was hot. I was sweating before I could even get in the car. We're in the middle of a heat wave over here. Anyway, we've had our first look at the uh, at the Stan Sport coverage for the Speed Series, not the Super Series, the Speed Series. Um, what did you uh, What did you make of it all, Stefan? I ended up watching the Saturday on Nine Gem. Obviously, it's a simulcast mm-hmm. of of what they were running on Stan anyway, just with some ads in it, and then. The Sunday, I watched it by stand but on delay. So I sort of got a little bit of uh, what the product's all about. I think overall, like it, it did what it said on the tin, like clearly not quite the budget of a full supercars spec production. But, you know, Matt White, I feel like um, gives gives it good. He's got good presence, uh, good credibility straight up. And clearly the commentary lineup is a pretty known quantity. So overall, I mean, Stan is pretty similar experience to KO, really. It's not. Um, revolutionarily different to that if anything the app on stand felt a little less clunky to me ko can run into some dramas um and it, one of the good things actually is that um on sunday there the stand um app had the individual races for s5000 tcr and trans am cut into individual um sort of little packets so you didn't have to scroll yep. through like the 10 hour we've all done the 10 hour ko scrub trying to find something um, in that when you're watching it back later on. So, you know, overall, I think that part of it was was a win. I mean, whether it's worth $20 a month is totally up to the individual, but uh, seemed like a reasonable first-up effort. Yeah, it definitely just had a sort of very familiar feel to it, which I guess makes sense with, you know, the fact, as you said, it's produced by Supercars Media. Uh, there was a lot of carryover from talent um, from the previous ARG broadcast. So, um, yeah, look, I think it was all, you know, like you say, it was what you sort of would expect it to be. Uh, what about the racing itself? What uh, what caught your eye across the weekend? Well, unfortunately, the, the long safety cars and time-certain finishes pretty much plagued plagued almost every race. Um, and there was there's sort of two parts to it. One, it reminds you how good the driving standards are in supercars. I mean, essentially... This level of racing is still amateur amateur sport, if not semi-pro. So, I mean, Trans Am in particular, like it promised so much. It's it's a mouth-watering grid, but it's it's mainly, you know, very young guys learning their way and, and gentlemen races. So, the fact those cars are really hard to drive is a recipe for, for accidents. Um, the second part of all that, unfortunately, is that some of the, the car recoveries were really long, which extended those safety cars out. Um, clearly that part of those events um, is not quite at the level that supercars supercars is at. It was kind of, uh, I mean, there was an issue. It, it speaks more to the first part of what you were saying there about driving standards and stuff, but that was definitely kind of an issue during the Super Bathurst um, at the end of last year as well, where a lot of the particularly S5000 races were heavily affected by safety cars, but some of those other categories as well. I always just find it hard watching TCR, like the racing is good, but it's so hard to sort of get a read on exactly who's doing a good job or who's got the rub of the BOP green at any given track on any given weekend and all that sort of stuff. So it can sort of be a difficult series to sit down and go, oh, wow, that was a remarkable performance from driver A and driver B was absolutely 
nowhere. But there's a couple of interesting talking points. I mean, the, the James Moffat-Jay Hansen clash in, in race two was definitely an interesting one. Uh, Moff looked pretty peeved off as he walked back to the garage, had a little Barney with uh, with <laughs> Melbourne Performance Centre boss Troy Russell. Was um, was Moff right to, 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 be, to be annoyed there? Stefan, or, or did, did Jay have the right to try and squeeze through that sort of slightly open door that, that, that um, I think it was Will Brown had actually sort of opened by passing Moff? Any driver in Moff's shoes there I think would have been pretty pissed with the fact that they'd been deposited into the into the wall, but like looking at yep. it from, from the outside, like my read on it was it was pretty 50-50. I mean, you can see why... Uh, why young Hansen would do that, like it's a sprint race, reverse top 10 grid, no pit stops. If there's a gap where you can try to follow the car through that's um, that's already passed Moff there, as you say, that was Will Brown. Like you can't really blame him from having a go and, and he was a fair way up when the first part of the contact happened. So it was just a shame that the consequence there for a permanent racetrack, um, the wall is actually quite close. So the consequence mm. is, is, really, is really big. So... Yeah, it was one of those things. I mean, the bloke who probably did pull his nose out just in time was um, was pit reporter Chris Stubbs when he went to interview Moff uh, straight oh, afterwards because, yeah. uh, boy, he was a braver man than I attempting uh, that straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, an angry Moff is a uh, is a pretty uh, frightening prospect for any journalist uh in the paddock. Now, Stefan, as a proud South Aussie, uh, all of this Adelaide talk – in the supercars paddock. Must be getting you pretty fired up. Opposition leader Peter Malinowskis, I think I've pronounced that right, uh, has vowed that the Adelaide 500 will be back this year if he wins at the polls. Uh, Pre-election polling tends to be pretty uh, ropey, pretty ropey generally, but the betting market has the Liberals just a tiny bit ahead. So it's definitely pretty close. Like, what do you reckon? Could this be the, the golden ticket to get Big Pete across the line? He's definitely gone big on it. Um, it's it's kind mm. of a bold move because as much as it's an absolute no-brainer for, for us that it's a brilliant policy and there's lots of supercars and motorsport fans across Australia that are really hoping this happens. Um, yeah, it's it's always been a bit divisive, especially there, um, people living in the east end of Adelaide with, with setting up that track. So he's he's gone hard on it. Uh, like, I guess as a opposition leader, it's sort of, it's been hard uh, in a pandemic to... Um, you know, have strong policies that will win you an election um, when the pandemic there's been managed reasonably well. So one, one thing that I think it's also a bit of a tricky spot for supercars with this stuff because, like, you want your race back, but you don't really need to get involved, like, too hard on a political uh, debate and an yeah. election. That's sort of my, my view on it. Um, so they had that event there on Friday where uh, Malinowskis announced – this plan to bring it back in 2022, and I mean, to be quite honest, like we were talking about that on this podcast, um, sort of Bathurst time last year, that that was the that was the plan. That if he got in, that was your um, breaking news, Stefan? Don't be humble. Don't well, be humble. I'm pretty sure you broke that yarn. Well, clearly they sort of wanted to to hang on to that a bit to uh, time the announcement in the run up to the election. But I think having um, having three drivers there, um, the the South Aussie drivers. And not say you're Shane Howard, you know, your supercar CEO, just leaving it to them to be the voice was actually quite yeah. quite clever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, where, where it lands is um, is still to be decided. As you say, I'm not going to pretend to be a political expert, but yeah, I did have a cheeky look at the betting markets actually, and I see the Liberals uh, are the favourites. 
yeah, I mean, that's uh, probably says a bit about where we sit on the um, in terms of our political insight. When you go, I wonder who's going to win. I better go to a betting <laughs> site and have a look. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of you you think about you know in our little motor racing microcosm, it's this big push and this is this policy that's you know how can it lose? But then you know most of the people commenting on it won't vote in this election because they're not based in South Australia. So that's really where it's going to make the difference, you know, obviously, is in South Australia. So it be interesting. What, what I'm kind of interested in now is what on earth supercars is going to do if the Liberals hold on to power. Because um, as you've pointed out in the past, you know, Newcastle, this idea of a straight swap uh, between Newcastle and Sydney for the season finale this year is a very much a less than ideal option. Um, because Supercars wants to open its 2023 season in Newcastle, so back-to-back Newcastles is kind of a little bit, a little bit odd. Um, the Gold Coast date is locked in for October, so I mean, maybe we finish on the Gold Coast and we have an early finish of the season. But my understanding is that's not really a preference for Supercars either. Um, if Newcastle gets the nod for that Winton date in May, then maybe Winton can be moved to the back end of the year. The same goes for say. Perth, if there's concerns over the, the current date and the border, uh, there's always Queensland Raceways, this kind of floating option. But like a finale at Winton or Wanneroo or QR, it's kind of not not exactly Hollywood stuff. Is there any concern that there's too many of Supercar's eggs in the Adelaide basket right now, Stefan? It's hard to fully say that without knowing everything they've got on the table. Uh, I guess I, I look at a lot of this stuff through the lens of, of – teams and stuff as well and it feels like the perfect year to actually finish it in the last weekend of October on the Gold Coast and let these guys and girls um, build their Gen 3 cars and maybe run them a couple of times before they have to go racing again in in 2023. Um, Yeah, so I mean not knowing also like TV contracts and whatever like um, whether there's any stipulations on that and I'm, I'm sure clearly they like to push on with the season past the end of the footy seasons a bit longer than that because um, you sort of finally mm-hmm. get that bit of clear air. So to end it in October would be a shame from that point of view. But even with Adelaide, to be honest, like as much as I love that event um, and would love nothing more than to see it back, I don't know if rushing it back um, to suit a political agenda this quickly is actually the best thing for it. I mean... It's um, pretty rich to criticise an event, uh, you know, what, what is it, like nine, ten months out that hasn't happened, but um, you just wouldn't want them to rush it back and it not to be the full uh, the full deal that we've had before. You just wouldn't want it to be half-baked based on yeah. meeting a uh, election promise rather than what's actually best for the event. Yeah, no, I, uh, I absolutely agree. But it's just, yeah, I just, I, I can't quite get my head around where that finale might land if it doesn't, if it doesn't happen. And you know, as we pointed out, it's not a foregone conclusion, so it will be pretty interesting. Hey, what are your thoughts on uh, on Erebus's Bathurst One Thousand lineup? Pretty solid call to bring Perco and D Russ back into the fold. Yeah, but I think that's pretty much a, a no-brainer. Um, they're both quality. Quality drivers that have been there and done it before, they've both been on the podium there at Bathurst um, in the last three years. Um, Jack, obviously, with, with Walkinshaws in 2019, and then uh, D-Russ there with Brody Kostecki last year. So, like, I know that um, Lee Holdsworth winning Bathurst sort of flies in the face of it, but I think year-to-year co-driver consistency is quite important in this current era where there's only one enduro, there's far less miles during the year. Um, yeah. 
And the only caveat probably with, with these guys is that you'd hope they're doing other racing during the season. That's always important. And I don't think we've seen um, what they're sort of planning on that on that front. But um, actually, speaking of Erebus, there's already a bit of chat about their main drivers for 2023. Um, yeah. I, I found this a bit more interesting. Um, and Barry Ryan's been out there obviously saying that they want the guys to stay, but he's, um, he's sort of gone down the same path as he did with, with Anton in 2010, that like you've got to build your team such that the drivers want to stay. You can't fight for them if, if they've got an opportunity to go somewhere better. Um, and he did an interview with, uh, with Speed Cafe this week where he said there's possibly Will Davison's seat at the end of the year. Floating that publicly as an opportunity for either Will Brown or Brody Kostecki. I mean, the context of it was actually um, a bit self-deprecating in the fact that, you know, drivers might want to go to DJR instead of staying at Erebus. But what did you make of that? It's, it's a Deliberate or not, it's a great way to get into a rival's head before the start of the season. It was, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I greatly enjoyed reading those quotes um, because it's just that's the sort of action that we like to see. But the funny thing is that, like, first it was Giz last year and now it's um, now it's Baz trying to get into Davo's head. Like, he just cops a bit of flack, doesn't he? Like, it's just it's just everyone seems to be gunning for him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's copping it before we've even turned a wheel this year. <laughs> I know. And he did beat his teammate in the points last year, so he's probably uh, wondering what he's got to do. I'd, uh, I, um, I'd, I wonder if, if Barry sort of said that without properly thinking it through, but then I think he probably knew exactly what he was saying. It was definitely uh, – they were very, very interesting uh, quotes. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, there's more change coming up at Team 18. Uh, it seems that Steve Henderson, the team manager, is joining BJR-bound Phil Keed on the list of outs. Um, Richard Holway will take over his race engineer duties on Scotty Pye's car for this season. Last year was a bit of an odd one for Team 18, I reckon, Stefan. Like it was sort of – there was so much promise at the end of 2020 and then there were glimpses of like awesome speed like Darwin but just so much inconsistency. Do you sort of – do you feel it's feasible for them to get back on the trajectory that they were on at the end of 2020 and, and kind of trouble the front runners a bit more consistently this season? Well, it's not a bad position to be, first off, when you uh, need to fill a race engineer slot and you can just take someone of the quality of Richard Holway <laughs> off mm. of the shelf who's already yeah. sitting there not engineering a car when, uh, as a lot of our listeners would know, he uh, he engineered Scafie back in the heyday at HRT and also uh, was on the cans for Scotty McLaughlin during his rapid rise at GRM. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not fully across the context of some of these changes, but I'm not really surprised to see some. I mean... Talked about Richard there having not been engineering a car. They had a pretty top-heavy structure of um, of brain power for a team running yep. two sort of customer spec cars. I mean, they're not making their own bits. Um, so Scott Pye had that real um, surge in form when Phil actually went onto his car in 2020 and got mm-hmm. those podiums, and then it went backwards last year. So that was um, that was to the outside world at least a bit unexplained. Um, I see that Charlie has made mention of the fact that it's good that Richard's based in Melbourne, where we know Phil has uh, been up in Queensland. So clearly there was some desire to uh, on on that front. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're, like it's it's tough, isn't it? Like, are they going to win the championship this year? I don't think so. And nothing about these changes really makes me think that that's even more realistic. Can they have occasional speed, get some podiums? Of course, but. 
I feel like these guys will see Gen 3 as their opportunity. Like they need to get everything, all the ducks in a line so that when that does uh, come in in 2023 and you've essentially got the same stuff, like there's so much more spec uh, spec parts on those cars that you don't have to keep buying the latest upright from Triple Eight and keep chasing, yeah. chasing, chasing. You've you should really have the base package, and then it's about driving it and tuning it. Um, and that's where, yeah, I mean, if if uh, particularly Scotty Pye, if he's their guy um, and a great engineer on the car, yeah, we could see plenty more from them. But 2023 for me is more so than 22. Do you do you feel that's a fair read? I think so, yeah. And just to circle back to the Phil Keed thing, I think that was actually sort of one of those scenarios where it actually kind of worked, like his next move worked for everybody because I think there probably was, it was time for a change at Team 18 because clearly something somewhere wasn't quite functioning, whether it was the fact he was based more remotely or whatever. Um, And then you've got Brad Jones Racing that needed some engineering firepower. They needed to bring someone in because Peter Vale had gone to MSR um, Andrew Edwards had gone to Triple Eight, so I think that was one of those things where it was probably just it's like a win-win situation for everybody. So it'll be interesting to see where where they go, and it's always interesting with Team Eighteen because you've kind of got you know we've still got that that memories of that awesome like battle between the teammates in 2020. And that always <laughs> seems like there could be a bit of spice between Frosty and, and Scotty Pye, particularly if they start getting some uh, results and they're both sort of bashing doors near the front of the field. Yeah, that's a good point you make about Phil at BJR. Like I'm, I'm excited for Bryce Forward who's gone there um, when they had a bit of an empty cupboard in terms of engineers and for him to be able to work with someone of the quality of Phil, like, that's a massive win for Bryce. So, um, yeah, yeah you, you would hope some of this stuff actually uh, helps everybody in the end. Yeah, I think it will. Now let's chat Premier Racing and it appears that having initially been looking at a Brisbane or looking at Brisbane as a base, uh, that team will join the likes of Dick Johnson Racing and Matt Stone Racing on the Gold Coast. Uh, the team owner, Peter Ziberus, our newest team owner, was kind enough to take a few minutes out of his ridiculously crazy schedule to give me an update on how the mad rush to get the team to the Sydney grid is going. Um, so we're still madly thrashing to uh, put it all together. Um, it's sort of it's hard to explain um, you know, on paper, there's no there's no way we're going to make it. But but you know, but um, there's no um, other way of saying. But we we're not going to give up, and and we will be there on race day. So probably the best way, you know, way I can answer it. Have you had a chance to sort of formalise how things are going to look in the relationship with with Triple Eight? So basically, we're just a Triple Eight uh, customer. Essentially, so you know, we've got two AAA cars. Um, we'll be we've signed up to their data package. Um, we use the same engine builder that they use, which is KRE. Um, you know, most of our parts that we buy will be through AAA. Um, every team has slightly different setups, um, depending on on drivers, on on race engineers, um, etc. So, um, you know, even if you have a look at most teams, both drivers drive a slightly different car because everyone wants something slightly different. Yeah, absolutely. You mean you, you've you've understandably, I think, opted to push your first test back a week. Will that open the door for for Triple Eight to maybe play a bigger role, a bigger hands on role in the test if they aren't focused on on their cars, and maybe give you guys a bit more of a hand to get up to speed? 
Yeah, so the main reason we pushed back was, one, we just needed more time to get the cars uh, together. Um, second was because, obviously, Triple Eight would have had all their drivers and engineers and, and all their best at, at the track doing their thing. They, they, you know, as much as they would probably help, they, they would only give us limited amount of, of help, I would think. Um, by pushing it back, um, we, we get a lot more access to their engineers and drivers and and help so it just it, it will help us a lot more yes so there will be triple eight drivers on hand is there a chance that you might get someone to jump in a car and 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 maybe give you know chris and gary a bit of a benchmark to work towards uh that i don't know there's a lot of rules in supercars in what drivers can and can't do i i don't quite know what that ruling is um so i can't i don't know if that will would happen or could happen it'd be nice um but um to me, it's more about just making sure that um, our our drivers and our engineers understand, and if they have questions, they can just triple eight personnel to ask questions and help us through. So you've already decided that the team will be based in southeast Queensland. Are you any closer to having a, a, a home properly locked in? Uh, at this stage, yeah, we're going to be more near the Gold Coast mm-hmm. is where we're going to be. So that's sort of a departure from the initial Brisbane thing. Have you actually found a facility that, that is going to be the, the headquarters for the team? Yeah, we're pretty close. Um, I'm, I'm going up probably if it's not the end of this week, early next week to sign off. There's, uh, there's two or three places we're looking at, but, um, yeah, they're all sort of up, up around that sort of close, close to the Gold Coast way, basically. It's definitely a heartland for the uh, for the sport in Queensland. How are Chris and Gary feeling at the moment? Are they raring to go for the new season? I mean, all this talk about, you know, upgraded triple eight cars and stuff, it must be pretty exciting for them. Yeah, look, I think uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping we give them the best possible crack at it. Um, like most drivers, um, if, you, if you put a, a driver in a car that he feels confident in, um, I think, and they have a good mindset, I think they'll, uh, they'll show... Yeah, they will reward us with points. Um, so as far as that goes, you, look, we're, we're trying to do the best we can to make them feel comfortable and and make them feel that they, you know, we've given them the best we can. And and then it's up it's up to basically the driver and the engineer to uh, to bring it home. I know it's a lot of work at the moment and it probably all feels like a fairly steep mountain to climb, but, you know, how special is that moment going to be when you're actually standing on the grid at, at Sydney Motorsport Park with, with your cars sitting there ready to go racing? Yeah, uh, probably it's a bit of a surreal moment um, at the moment, but, you know, I, right now it's, it's that, that when, you, when you ask that question, I, I sort of feel excited, I feel nervous, I feel, um, you know, uh, Anxiety, I suppose. I don't know. Like this, this, we've got so much work to do in such a short time. Um, a lot of people sort of said we couldn't do it, um, and I can see why they probably would say say that. But but I'm sort of here to prove everyone wrong, and yeah, you know, I, I know we will do it. And thanks to Peter for his time there. It's um, it's worth noting that he's not just a supercars team boss, but he runs a. Uh, he runs a business as well, so he's a bloke that's well and truly under the pump. Stefan, there was some interesting stuff in there. The Gold Coast base for one, which means that I'm guessing that some of his some of the people working there might be neighbours of yours in um, where do you live? I know it's the fanciest part of the Gold Coast. Giving away your location on a podcast seems like a recipe for disaster. 
<laughs> it's probably probably not we, a great idea. We can idea. put your home address and, so, uh, and phone number on the socials, but we might leave me yeah. incognito. <laughs> <laughs> Enough people that don't like me have got my phone number already. So, yeah, very. Uh, that is very true. If, but is it a good call to sort of target the heartland of supercars in Queensland for those guys? Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think. Like there's probably some part of uh, of Pete Zibris that would like it to be Sydney based, even though it's not going down that Team Sydney brand path anymore. But clearly, it was very hard for the previous incarnation of this team to get um, experienced supercars people in Sydney, like going out on your own like that. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's always been teams up here. It's it's either Melbourne or Southeast Queensland for supercars, apart obviously from Brad Jones Racing in Albury. So. Um, I think for sure. I mean, we talked about it the other week that getting quality people to run your cars is the uh, is the biggest thing that he's got to go and do after he's gotten the hardware uh, upgraded from Triple Eight. So yeah, that's a pretty important uh, pillar in all of this. It kind of feels like just from when I was chatting to Peter there that there is there is a desire to try and get a Triple Eight driver behind the wheel of a Premier car when they do go testing uh, next week. Key reference issues with the rules and what primary drivers can and can't do. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, there's a neat little option with a certain seven-time series champion that's, you know, not a primary driver, which may be a little more palatable for supercars when they put to them, hey, can we stick one of these guys in the car? What do you reckon? Yeah, like we've seen, um, I guess it goes back a little while now, but um, over the years we've seen various uh, primary drivers jump into other teams' cars um, as part of technical deals and all that sort of stuff. So it sounds like an absolute no-brainer to have a Triple Eight driver do some laps in uh, in one of these Premier cars um, after they've had these upgrades at Triple Eight. But uh, I did have a little look at the rules on this just to refresh because there's a lot of testing rules to digest. And um, the rules say that you can have on one of these test days one primary driver from outside your nominated team, so one driver from outside Premier Higher Racing, uh, do a maximum of 10 laps or any driver who holds a relevant licence can can also drive the car. And there's no actual um, lap maximum written next to that one. So I both of these require sign-off from the uh, head of motorsport, Adrian Burgess, so I think there's probably just needs to be a conversation go on there about what they're doing and why they're doing it because um, clearly it's to help a new uh, team try to get get out of the blocks. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, Jamie's in a weird position where he's seven-time champ, been a primary driver for ages until right now. So I don't think they would have written all these rules exactly with him in mind, but I think the intention is pretty obvious. Like they're not trying to give Jamie some sneaky testing laps or, or whatever. So no. you'd, you'd, you'd hope that they'd allow it for sure. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Uh, Pascal Verlein took his and Porsche's first Formula E wins in Mexico, leading home teammate Andre Lotterer. Jack Miller crashed during MotoGP testing in Indonesia on Sunday during a race simulation. Paul Espargaro was fastest at that test on his Honda, ahead of reigning world champion Fabio Quartararo and Aleish Espargaro on the Aprilia. Uh, Remy Gardner was 21st fastest on the Sunday on his Tech 3 KTM. Formula 2 driver Jack Doohan has been named as part of the Alpine Formula 1 Academy, so he's following the footsteps of Oscar Piastri there. And Formula 1 launch season is now in full swing. So we've seen the livery that Red Bull will use on the RB18, although what was unveiled and what was basically a 
slightly modified version of the F1 show car, so we don't know too much about the RB18 yet. Red Bull's sister team, Alpha Tauri, went with a render of its new livery on what probably doesn't look too much like the real AT03, although there was maybe some design cues in, in what they did there. Um, we've seen the Aston Martin AMR22, and that was actually a real-life 2022 spec Formula 1 car that's even done some laps around Silverstone. So that's probably been the biggest excitement so far. Uh, and McLaren also unveiled its real MCL36, and complete with a pretty snazzy orange and blue livery. Uh, livery. Um, Stefan, we, we, we don't know wh- where things are going to land or what's going to play out with these new cars when they actually go racing, but... What's your thought on who's winning the livery war right now? I think Aston have rolled out pretty nicely. Like they've brightened up the green on that car. I lost the pink. Um, it's It just feels very Aston. Um, and it's the only car we've actually seen on track, as you sort of suggest there. So, yeah, I think um, it's, it's always good when the cars are easily distinguishable, at least in livery from one another, if not like in the old days where you could tell uh, one car from another if they're all painted white. So... Um, yeah, there's obviously a lot more talk about what the shapes of the cars look like, but purely on the livery front, I reckon Aston have uh, rolled out of beauty. I've just got to go with McLaren. I reckon it looks pretty hot. The Red Bull and AlphaTauri look all right too. Like the, the AlphaTauri sort of, if they can't run the white wheels, that livery suffers a little bit with those wheel covers. Um, with those wheel covers on that are sort of a darker colour, but you know they sort of look all right at least in the renders, how they look on track or TV. Is always a bit hard to tell. I think what is really promising, and you kind of touched on it a little bit there, is that, okay, maybe not as radical a differences in the design as we've seen in the past, but at least there is some differences. If you look at the McLaren and the and the Aston Martin in particular, the way they've done the packaged up the rear bodywork and stuff, it's quite different. And there was a lot of talk that, you know, these are the most restrictive rules we've ever had in Formula One, and would they effectively turn it into a one-make chassis class because there's, there's basically not a lot of freedom in terms of design, and that could still happen in the future as guys work out what the best way to go about all this is. But, you know, for now, there's some kind of differences between the cars, which is always something I enjoy seeing. Um, in other F1 news, there was originally plans for six sprint races this year, but that those plans have been scrapped. We're going to have just three sprint races uh, now. They're going to be the Emilia-Romagna, Austrian, and Brazilian Grand Prix. Um, and the top eight will score points now. So it kind of puts a pretty big emphasis on getting Saturday right because it's not just the top three scoring points, but the top eight scoring points, so eight points up for grabs. Um Another little change is that, and this will be one for people who love their stats and keeping things nice and organised, Aaron Noonan, um, the sprint winner won't be named the pole winner anymore. That will instead go to whoever was actually fastest um, in Friday qualifying. So Friday qualifying, that will be the pole winner, and then it's not sprint qualifying anymore. It's just called a sprint. Stefan, your thoughts on that? Is that the right move uh, to cut back to three races and expand the points? Is it all a bit of a compromise? Where do you sit on it? I'm definitely glad that it's only three. I mean, I didn't feel like those sprint races added a lot. Like, they were largely pretty dull. And that that may change with the points uh, weighting being higher on them. But, I mean, for me, it just felt like a cynical attempt to increase audience numbers by putting more more F1 action of consequence on a race weekend. Um, And I guess, like, certainly worked in my case because I wouldn't normally watch the Friday practice stuff. But when it's actually called qualifying... You're uh, sort of programmed to try to keep up with it. So, yeah, I'm glad, you know, I, I did always like the fact that F1 was the same format every time. Um, and it's all about building up to that Sunday Grand Prix. 
and I feel like this it's a bit gimmicky and it didn't add a lot, but yeah, clearly it's going to have a consequence on the championship now with those increased points weightings. So uh, I'll certainly be watching it. Yeah, it's interesting, Buck, because if you run and say third or fourth, how big a risk are you going to take? Because suddenly DNFing on Saturday is going to cost you a whole heap. So there's, you know, there could be an argument that there were going to be times where uh, drivers might even be more conservative because you've got to protect what you've got. Because you know, if you throw it off the road and your rival scores eight points, geez, that's a big. Um, that's a big difference. So we'll uh, we'll see. I still like having qualifying on Friday. I actually think that's that's a, a a good move. But I certainly agree on some of your other your other points there. Now it's time for a brand new segment, proudly powered by Castrol. This, dear listeners, is your chance to fire a question or a discussion point at myself and my teammate Stefan here. So keep an eye on the Castrol Motorsport and V8 Sleuth socials in the weeks to come. Every week from now on for call-outs, get in touch with us, tell us what's on your mind. This week we're going to go with a question from Justin Welsh who... I have to say, look at his Instagram. Looks like a pretty handy fisherman. So good job on that, Justin. Um, he asks, with only nine cars on the grid last weekend, will S5000 really last in Australia? And that's a great question because it was actually something I wanted to bring up this week because I sort of had the same thought watching a nine-car grid lining up to go racing at Simmons Plains. I love the concept of S5000. I really do, but it's just not enough cars. And we're not really seeing the category grow in any any meaningful way and I have to be honest it's starting to feel a little bit disappointing because I know the borders haven't helped you know they can't get Kiwi and other international drivers in but I'm just not convinced that if the border was open there'd be another eight cars on the grid there might be a couple but I, I couldn't see it. it it can't be having that big an influence on on the grid size I'm, I'm keen for your thoughts here Stefan like am I being way too harsh or is it time to to question whether this thing is working and whether it really does have a future the question before, and this did have a very long birth period, this uh, S5000 class, as we all know, mm-hmm. but the question during all of that was that, like, what would its place in the landscape be? I mean, clearly at that level, it's hard to get commercial backing. Like, you're not going to have, um, you know, Shell and Red Bull beating down the door to uh, throw in a few million to run some cars. Um, so that's that's where it's at to start with. And then you go, well, those who can afford to buy a car, like, probably can't really drive them because they're so gnarly it's not like a gd3 spec car and then those who can drive them largely can't afford them so it was probably never going to have a massive car count like i'm not really surprised with where it's at but like personally and yes there's there's economics behind the scenes that will ultimately determine you know how sustainable it really is but it's it's probably the only category that can, for me, get away with having, okay, nine cars is a little thin, but 10, 12 cars, I feel like it's such a point of difference as a spectacle that it still works. I mean, if I was organizing the Gold Coast 600, which is obviously a supercars promoted event, I think I'd still want a dozen a dozen of these things there. I mean, they make yeah. such a noise. They're really like, you just have to watch, uh, partly because they're, they're bloody frightening. And the fact that, the fact that they're a bit awkward in hand-to-hand combat in races um, means that I feel like if there was 20 cars, it'd just be even more carnage than we've we've had. So, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, as I say, if there's any category that can get away with 12 cars rather than 25, it's, it's this one. I take your point and I really want it to work. I'm just not sure I sort of see the end game 
right now. I'm not sure I see the foundation of a booming category. And probably what what I'm most concerned about is that, you know, if you go and look at the season opener last year, it was kind of better than it was this year in terms of the depth of talent in the field and the number of cars and all that sort of stuff. So that's not necessarily a great sign. But I'm more than happy to be proven wrong on all of that because I like the category, I like the cars, I like the people involved and I really want it to work. But I sort of agree with Justin that I think it's a question that's worth asking. You need to remember, though, as well, that it's it's part of a package of multiple categories. Yeah, that it adds like a bit to the show. It's it's not the uh, yeah the one and only you it know showstopper. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and I think I think the fact that it's not solely tied to the Speed Series events, like I'll be really interested to see what the Gold Coast Grid's like because uh, I think yeah. it it does need to be on the the big show where it can entertain someone else's audience. Um, and they'll find it quite entertaining. And it's obviously, it's in a, a safe enough position in terms of, you know, we know that ARG has a history of investing in its categories to keep them going, buying TCR cars to make sure there's cars on the grid. They've obviously, you know, they're helping keep the S5000 thing going. So it's well positioned from that point of view, but it would be nice to see it eventually really stand on its own two feet. And yeah, I think like 15 cars, that'd be great but I sort of feel like we're a fair way off seeing that regularly, but we'll see what the future holds. All right, it's time for our Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, who have you got this week, mate? Well, out of Simmons Plains, like um, that race three winner, Zach Suter, was a great story as a privateer entry, but uh, to be honest, there can only be uh, sort of one nomination here, and I'm actually going to go the other way. HMO Customer Racing, which is obviously the TCR squad owned by Barry Morecambe, Clearly, their cars were very quick on the weekend. I mean, all three of their drivers ended up on the podium in at least one of the races. Um, Pole, round win, all of that. Great, great, great. I'm sure other people are complaining about BOP or whatever. But my reason for them being the stars of the week is that uh, their level of presentation, I felt like, at least watching on television, raised the level from what we've seen in TCR. I mean, to turn out three cars in those factory colours that looked uh, that looked red hot. They did a photo shoot um, just like a you know F1 spec or supercar spec on the uh, on the Thursday that uh, looked pretty mint as well. Um, so I just liked the way they uh, went about presenting uh, their whole show, and they were quick too. That's a that's a good shout. I'm actually going to stick with the TCR and the Hyundai theme. Now I'm going to go. This is a kind of a partial credit star of the week. This one because I was pretty set on it on Saturday night, and then. Uh, Sunday didn't necessarily go great. So I know Brad Shields caused a bit of a ruckus when he got into Dylan O'Keefe on Sunday, but I have to say I enjoyed his work in Saturday's first TCR race. I don't know a heap about him, but he spent the race fighting over 10th place with Fabian Coulthard and Michael Caruso, two fully-fledged professionals. Even if Fab's on debut there, he's a he's a professional race car driver. Um, and this bloke beat him. And he didn't just – it wasn't just through mad blocking – for the whole race, he was racing him, and he, you know, Fabs got past him. He got back past Fabs, and he kind of went and 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 beat them on track. So that was um, that was pretty impressive to watch. Well, the funny thing about that battle um, is that the, all the whole time um, during that race, there was the talk about the battle for tenth was um, going to determine yes. pole for race two. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure I wasn't the only one surprised when race two came around and they weren't in that in that order. And it was actually that the race two grid was set on qualifying with race, uh, sorry, set on the qualifying order with the top 10 of that reversed. Um, and 
I've sort of butchered the explanation there, so sorry about that. But it does play to uh, – I actually asked, like, how this happened. And seemingly the sporting rules were actually written in a way that was slightly ambiguous. And not only did the commentary um, misunderstand them and commentate that race for 10th like it was pole, but some teams and drivers actually had thought that that was the case as well. So that was a quirky, uh, quirky little point from the weekend. Yeah, well, the TCR website still has a report that says that, you know, they were fighting, these guys were fighting over not just 10th, but pole position for race two. So uh, it was certainly pretty confu- uh, pretty confusing. I was also a little um, confused when uh, when it all didn't quite play out that way on the Sunday. So that's pretty good. Our star of the week is kind of a, um, kind of a bit of a tear up for the week in the end. Um, which is fun. Anyway, look, that's enough for this week. Uh, remember to like, subscribe, and re- review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.